No, I think the Bible is really clear. We are all messed up. Like there is no one out there who is not messed up. Welcome to Undiscussed, the show where we talk about things Christians should talk about, but often don't. This week, we discuss mental health with Lydia Lowe Young. Just a note for this episode, when we were recording it, we experienced some technical difficulties, so it might sound a little different than our other episodes. Hello, and welcome to Undiscussed, a podcast where we talk about the things Christians should talk about, or the things that we think Christians should talk about. My name is Patrick. And I'm Eric. And uh, we're going to be hosting this conversation uh, with, today we've got Lydia. Hello. And uh, this episode is going to be talking about mental health, something that uh, the church and Christians don't often talk about, but they really should. And uh, it's something that's been a part of my life, so I'm excited to talk to Lydia about this as well. I don't know that she knew that even. I think I did. Oh. Yeah, in passing. We've had a few conversations. Oh, there you go. So we talked about it a little bit, but uh, we can still talk about it a little bit more, I guess. Yeah. So um, before we get started in uh, getting to the meat of the episode, maybe can you just tell us a little bit about yourself uh, so that our listeners can uh, get to know you a little bit? Yeah. Um, I, well, I used to do graphic design for a Christian nonprofit student organization. Um, and in the past few years, I've just been at home on mat leave with two kids. Um, what are their names? Elliot and Elias. And we have a dog too. Her name's Moose. She's like a half kid. Half <laughs> kid. And, and what are, what are the ages? Um, Elliot is two. Elias is, oh, how old is he? He is almost 11 months. Um, and the dog, I don't know she's like 56 or something in dog years. years. Yeah. So she predates the kids. She does. Yes. By decades even. By decades. She was our first child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, like the starter the starter kid to know whether, you know, parenting was going to fit you. Or? Yeah. Like, I feel like if you can pick up your dog's, like, if you can pick up your dog's crap, you can probably pick up your kid's crap. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard I sometimes. I mean, the first tweetable quote from uh, this episode. <laughs> you can pick up your dog's poop. You can pick up your kid's poop. That is true. You sound like you have your hands full these days. Yeah. Well, full of poop, I guess. <laughs> Literally sometimes. So, yeah. What would you say is like the biggest difference in your life now with like two kids and a puppy versus, you know, before that? Um, The biggest difference. Yeah. Like what's I an exciting day for you these days? I, I don't know. An exciting day is when they everyone poops. When the dog poops, <laughs> when both children, no one's constipated, no one's pooping too much. I don't know. Preferably not at the same time. If everyone's pooping at the same time. <laughs> it's true. Disaster, that has happened also before. Uh, so. I'm sure it has. Life is hard sometimes. It's okay. Yeah, I, I remember when we had our first child, my wife and I, I like I feel like I officially became a parent when I like while changing a diaper, purposely stuck my hand in a stream of urine to prevent it from, you know, getting all over the place and it didn't gross me out. I'm like, oh I just stuck my hand in pee on purpose. That's love. Yeah, it That's, is. Like yeah, one time I beautiful. thought about calling 911 because of my child's poop. And so <laughs> like it I was like, so I bad. am a parent. <laughs> so what, what would you say the biggest difference between raising a puppy is and raising uh, humans? Because I, I now have a puppy that I, I pick up its poop and I just spend all day telling it not to eat things it shouldn't. And I feel like I can kind of relate to parents now, but probably not totally. So like, I what's, think the, you can. what's the gap um, there? I don't know. Right now, the puppy seems a lot smarter. 
and the kids. humans. Yeah. Although the human is catching up, the older human. Yeah. Yeah, she's like less of a lump, and so she's catching up slowly but surely. What's the most ingenious thing that she's done that you couldn't believe? Like she was that smart. Oh, I don't. I don't even know. We were at IKEA when she was like a year old, and I shared an ice cream cone with her. And then she asked for more, and I told her I didn't have any more. I showed her the hand sign for no more. And then she looked at the cash and pointed to the cash, and she said, buy more, buy more. And so wow, that was, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great way to use her, uh, her newly developed brain to yeah. get as much ice cream as possible. Oh, gosh. We don't get ice cream at Ikea anymore. anymore. Yeah. Smart. What's, you kind of talk about kind of the, the crazy parts about being a parent what's what's maybe a highlight uh for you um i don't know a highlight i guess when i come home like when i come home from the gym or come home from ballet and they both see me and their eyes kind of light up i'm like oh you like me like (laughs) yeah like i don't know i you there's so much sacrifice i guess in parenthood that you see them and their eyes light up and they're just so happy to see you that you're like yeah you do like me oh i'm glad Honestly, I know it won't last forever. So (laughs) it feels so dirty to say this, but I feel the same way about my puppy. (laughs) I just really, when you talk, I'm like, no, it doesn't sound like there's a difference. Oh, Pat, get over your dog. (laughs) But her, you know, little Zoe, her like ears perk up, her eyes. They kind of bound towards you, right? She pees while she runs towards me because she's so excited. It's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, I don't think my children do that, but yeah, hopefully they. I'm hoping Zoe grows out of it too. But yeah, we're, this week we're going to be talking to, uh, to you about mental health because um, you've had uh, your own journey with that and you have a lot of uh, experiences that I think would be really beneficial for other people to learn about, certainly myself um, and I think Eric as well. So um, it would be pretty cool to, to talk through that, uh, that journey of yours. So uh, where would you say um, that story begins for you? Like when's the first uh, time you interacted with that aspect of your life? Um, I think depression has been a part of my life for as long as I can remember she's kind of been like I like to call her a her she's kind of like that aunt that you don't really like that kind of comes around every so often and then overstays her welcome and then hopefully she leaves sometimes she stays for a really long time and so I think um growing up it wasn't even something that I ever thought to label it was just like my normal like this aunt that came around and um you were like, everyone is like this. Yeah, kind of. Everyone's like, got an aunt everyone like this. doesn't seem like this, but they I must. mean, they must. So how did how did that uh, kind of manifest itself when you were like younger in your like grade school years? Yeah, I mean, I think my earliest remember um, or memory um, was when I was in grade two or grade three, and just feeling really sad all the time, and not feeling like I connected with anyone. And I remember just sitting on top of the monkey bars, writing sad emo poems, like a little like seven-year-old Lydia, um, just writing sad poems. And it was kind of like my normal. Um, but that's the earliest memory that I have of ever just like just feeling like there was this shroud, um, kind of like this cloud that was over me. Um, and everywhere I walked, it would follow me. And it didn't seem to be raining on anyone else. But I just remember being this little girl and feeling like this cloud was always raining do you, do you think there were like external factors that like contributed to that or was this something that was like, you know, an internal thing? Um, I mean, I think definitely I, de- depression is so interesting because it's so multifaceted, right? Um, I think there were definitely um, familial pressures um, that played into that. I think genetics is definitely a huge thing, just having um, multiple people in my family with kind of undiagnosed mental health. 
issues, um, probably just other other factors as well, just personality and things like that. Um, so yeah, it's kind of just always been there, and who knows who knows why. You kind of mentioned that it felt normal to you. At what point in your life do you feel like you became aware of it as, oh, this is something I need to deal with, or this is something outside of me? Um, I think in university, I thought to myself, hey, I don't think this is really normal, the way I feel. Um, none of my friends seem to feel this way. And it was more pronounced, I guess, because I'd moved to a new, a new city, um, a new province. Um, to go to school. And so I, I think it was one of the first times that I thought to myself, this isn't normal. Um, I wish I didn't feel this way. Um, but she was the aunt that always just was always there. And so I didn't, I was, I think I was scared to acknowledge that maybe it wasn't what did, normal. What, what did it feel like? I know that depression manifests itself different for different people, differently for different people. What did, how did it show up for you? Yeah, I always like to think of it kind of like a like if my life was a painting, that it's never actually a vibrant painting. It's usually pretty, I don't know, pretty boring, it's, um, pretty subtle, like subdued tones. But whenever depression would come around, it usually would, um, she would usually come around every two years. It's like all of a sudden the painting would become black and white. Um, kind of like slowly it would just progress from, you know, pastel colors to, um, black and white and it would just always feel like I was kind of trying to swim through molasses there were a lot of like physical aspects where I was just tired all the time um but there were also just a lot of emotional aspects where either I didn't feel at all um like you get me you could get me to watch the happiest movie out there and I just wouldn't feel and sometimes I would look around and think why maybe I should laugh um (laughs) uh or you could make me watch the saddest movie and I just wouldn't even so kind of numb yeah yeah, and maybe that also that I was too sad to feel sad in those movies. I remember like The Passion of the Christ came out, I think, when I was in university. No, it was definitely when I was in university. And I was with two guy friends and on either side of me, and they are just sobbing. And I remember just sitting there thinking, well, this is sad, but like, I don't know. I'm looking at these guys and I'm like, oh, I don't feel that. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Uh, looking back at that time, uh, would you say that there were certain like behaviors that, uh, were kind of like maybe could have been warning signs to other people that uh, you were dealing with this so deeply? Until 2007, it was pretty minor. I mean, the, I think the, were there warning signs? Probably just even um, not wanting to really connect with people or um, not feeling understood. But it was always kind of stable. Like I knew that she would come to visit and, you know, every two years and that um, she would kind of go away and I'd be tired for a while. I would be Cranky is not the right word, but I would be kind of affectless. And then she would leave and things would go back to normal. And then 2007 happened. And, you know, that color picture faded into into gray tones again to black and white. And I thought, oh, she'll she'll go away. But then she didn't. Um, 2007 became 2008. 2008 became 2009. And I had terrible insomnia. Like I couldn't sleep at night at all. But then I didn't want to wake up in the mornings either. And I was tired all day. It's so awake at night. Um, I became super fearful of going out. Just didn't want to go into public. Um, just had a lot of anxiety about just even going to the to the grocery store. But at the same time, I was really scared to be alone. Um, so, like no escape from that. 
Yeah, there was just like nothing that was. There was no relief. Yeah. yeah, it was just there was nothing good enough. How did your faith play in to how you were feeling, like in general, but also during this time? Like, did it complicate things? Did it help things? Um, I think in some ways it really complicated things because I was like, God, I can't. You've given me these senses. And I can't really sense anything, and I can't sense you. And I know intellectually that you are real, but you don't feel real. You don't seem to answer my prayers. And um, before it used to be, uh, before 2007, when it was just every two years, I used to think, oh, I'll pray. And I would pray, and she would leave, and she would go away. Um, and I would think, oh, like, kind of um, pat myself on the back and think, I prayed enough, and you know, she left. But then when it became 2009, 2010, she wasn't going away. And I was praying a lot. Like when you can't sleep at night, you just, what do you do? You end up praying or you just end up talking to yourself. I don't know. But just the things that I did didn't seem to work. Um, yeah, it was just really like the easiest things just became so debilitating. And I think that's like a really key sign. Like when you notice that your friends have started, to, like you start cutting off your friends or um, you look at people and you're like, you just don't understand um, how I'm feeling. Like it's maybe a sign that, um, I don't know, it's not necessarily depression, but yeah. a sign that something maybe needs to change. That you're close, yeah. You know, you, you've been talking about depression or your aunt, Aunt D. In the past tense, uh, what what would you say or marked the turning point for you? Uh, you know, I can mark some of the turning points for me in my mental health journey. But for you, what was the turning point that started your road to better health? Yeah, I think that black and white picture became a picture that was painted over with tar. It's like someone just came and took a huge paint roller and rolled tar all over the picture. Um, and it was just so debilitating that I didn't want to go out at all like I couldn't I couldn't function and um my boyfriend now husband um but my boyfriend at the time told me you know this isn't this isn't normal you need to do something about this and I'm going to take you so it was outside an outside help yeah um how did you take that when you said it were you resistant to it did you kind I of push was, back I was or? pretty upset because yeah. I was like you just think I'm not doing the right things but I know I'm doing all the right things and you know, I was seeing a Christian counselor. I was, I don't know, I was praying. <laughs> I don't know what else I was doing. I really wasn't doing anything else, really. Um, but I kind of felt offended that he thought I wasn't doing enough, or I felt like he thought that I wasn't doing enough. Because good Christians aren't depressed. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't the case at all. It's not like he ever said that to me. Um, Would you say he went about it or used the right language um, when he addressed it with you? Um, you, are know, you? Are you glad he did it the way he did it? I think he had to. I don't think anything else would have, like, I don't think I would have listened. Other people told me that I had to deal with it. And I think I would always give them an answer like, oh, I am, you know, I'm seeing the counselor. It's helping. Um, and so I think he just had to shock me out of it by well, saying, know, hey, we need to take you to the hospital. I know, like, knowing you for, you know, seven or eight years, you are such a highly competent person. You're really intelligent. You're articulate. And you were like... I know that you were in like the pre-law, like on your way to being very high powered lawyer person. And so I can imagine that you're like, oh, I can, I can, you know, pull up my bootstraps and figure this out because you always 
probably could do that yeah. in, in areas of your life. Yeah, I was like, if I could just, I can just muscle my way out of this. Um, and I couldn't, but I, that's what I told myself. I told myself, oh, I don't need medication. I don't need help. I don't need to go to the hospital because all of this will just go away if I just work harder. Did you have already like a preconceived understanding of like even what counseling was supposed to look like or what you should what you should be doing in terms of like getting the right help? Yeah, I definitely had preconceived notions. I don't think anyone ever told me. It wasn't like Christians came up to me and said, "Hey, you shouldn't go on medication." Because actually most of the Christians I knew were very pro um, things like medication or seeing a psychiatrist. But I had these preconceived notions that, you know, if I took medication, maybe it would make me into a different person that all of a sudden I'd be this happy this really happy person and who am I when I'm happy I don't know like maybe I'd be this become this optimist that was like yeah life is good and so interesting it's almost like you like developed this kind of Stockholm syndrome with your yeah, depression kind of, that I was like oh just stay <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I am familiar well, with you yeah okay. well this is safe because I know this yeah and it sucks but uh, at least I know what to expect yeah yeah after the break we'll find out what it looked like for Lydia to get help Today's episode is brought to you by the Equipped Small Group Series. Equipped is a series of eight four-lesson workbooks to help you dive deeper into topics like evangelism, discipleship, the Holy Spirit, prayer, and more. You know, Pat, both in my own life and in the lives of friends who are in small groups with me, I've got some horror stories and I've got some, uh, you know, stories of transformation. And, you know, the horror stories sound more like funny anecdotes now. But I love small groups, and I'm excited to have materials like the Equip series to help people to grow. Yeah, you know, I've participated in a lot of small group studies over the years, and I've led a bunch of them too. And what I really enjoy that's unique about the Equip series is how it seems to stay away from Sunday schooling you too much. What the heck is Sunday schooling? Okay, so you know when you're asked a question, kind of like in Sunday school, and you know they're looking for one specific answer, even though there are probably a couple of really good answers that you could give? You know what I mean? Jesus. Oh, sorry, I thought you, I thought the right answer was Jesus to every question. I mean, it kind of is, but it's more nuanced than that sometimes, and I think that's the strength of Equipped. I get it. For more information, go to p2c.sh slash equipped. So when you went into the, the hospital, um, were there any anything, any events that happened there, any realizations you came to when you were actually, you know, in the hospital getting the help you needed? Um, I mean, one was just having a label for my depression. Um, was it hard to own that label? A bit, because I, like you said, I'd always been really competent in life, and it just seemed like it was this weakness, I guess. Um, and again, I don't think anyone ever told, told me that. People actually probably told me the opposite. Like, when someone has cancer, you don't say, oh, you're weak. Like, yeah. um... But it was just in my mind, like, oh, if I'm, like, if I actually suffer for this, from this and I need outside help, then I am weak. Um, and I wish that someone had just told me, hey, it's okay to be weak. Mm. That, like, we're not actually asked to be strong. Um, Always. Yeah. yeah. I know for me, in my mental health journey, like, I really struggle with anxiety. Maybe depression, too. I, I don't know. Still on the journey. Yeah. But uh, that was a real turning point for me when I was able to own the word anxiety. Because mm -hmm. I don't have anxiety attacks. Like, I'm a social person. I'm not intimidated by people or events or things. But it was just like this constant 
like state of anxiousness that like it's almost like someone just like turned my adrenal glands on full blast and I was just like hmm. in fight or flight syndrome like since I was like 10 and so it just that's normal yeah and uh yeah I remember when my counselor said the word anxiety like you have anxiety or you're anxious I was like no, yeah. no, no, I'm not. <laughs> and it took like going home and my wife being like, she's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For me to like even consider it. So I can, I can totally relate to like Sam uh, coming in and, and like being that outside help. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of outside help too, there's something that you mentioned last time we were talking about this that really blew my mind. Um, what you said to me is that it's not just Christians that God gives wisdom to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, like, it seems like a very obvious thing, but, like, when you said that, I was like, wow, that's, that's like, a, a pretty pretty deep thought that I don't think I spend enough time on. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes, I don't know where it comes from, and maybe it's just me um, and my idiosyncrasies, but, like, I think sometimes I think to myself, oh, the good Christian goes to see the Christian counselor. The good Christian goes to the Christian doctor. Um, the good Christian watches Christian movies, even though we know that all Christian movies are just terrible. Let's be honest. Come on, like, I don't know. Um, they're bad. But I think we think to ourselves sometimes, like, oh, Christians should patronize other Christian. It's like an unwritten checklist that yeah. we all adhere to for no reason whatsoever. And but... I, maybe we think, like, oh, the Christian has wisdom from God, so they're smarter. Yeah. But that's, like, not actually true right like or the non-christian automatically has an agenda to like steer you away yeah, from your faith yeah Any christian thing that even when it's not related to your faith at all like yeah. right like you go i don't know you go to the doctor like i brought my children to the doctor for constipation like am i gonna find a christian doctor for that no like i'm just gonna find a doctor um and so i think uh i think we think sometimes that um Christians are smarter, but an aspect, an element of common grace is that God has made some people so smart, and often it's the non-Christians that are just so proficient in their field. So why wouldn't we? Yeah. Go to like to seek help from them. Yeah, it poop is really on forefront of your mind. Oh gosh. So. There were probably some things that you learned while you were at the at the hospital from these professionals, these crazy radical non-Christian professionals <laughs> with all this wisdom. What were some of those um, those pieces of wisdom that um, that you got from there that kind of helped you on your journey forward? Um, I think one thing was that it was okay. Um, yeah. I mean, everyone had told me that already, but just even when I talked to the psychiatrist about the genetic factors. And it was like, oh, maybe I can't muscle my way out of this. Um, just like someone can't necessarily muscle their way out of cancer. Um, that sometimes you're sick and you need help to get better, and that's okay. Um, like, I would never withhold medication like Tylenol from my children um, if I knew that it would it would help them. So why would I withhold medication right. for myself in this case? Um, so just even talking about the genetic and physical aspects was really was really helpful. And I think, yeah, just having that label again to say, okay, this is something that I'm dealing with. And yeah, now that we have, like, now that we have a name, we can actually work towards um, not necessarily finding a solution. Like, I don't think mental health is just like that easy, you know, 
do this and all of a sudden you'll be cured. Um, but just even being able to work towards putting structures in place that can actually help instead of harm. Um, yeah, I think things like that were really helpful. I think for me with my anxiety, one of the helpful things also was like having language mm -hmm. to talk to my wife and to say, you know, this is why this situation isn't good or I need help in this way. It, it helped me to be able to even understand what was happening to me and give language to it. Whereas like it was more, I, I was experiencing it all along, but I couldn't explain it. Yeah. But is that? Yeah. Like I just, I knew that there were some things that were weird about me. Um, but those were just Lydia things. And then I realized, Hey, these aren't actually just Lydia things. There's a lot of people out there who like, who, deal with these same issues um, and why wouldn't I learn from these other people like why wouldn't I look at their lives and say hey these are structures that they've put in place or um, these are things that they've done um, in their lives yeah so what would you say has been your experience in your journey with medication and uh, the depression yeah um, medication was great um, I think once I started taking medication it also helped me realize that I dealt with anxiety and I didn't know before until I didn't feel anxious. And I was like, wow, this is, this is good. Um, but I think even more than that is that medication helped me feel more me than I'd ever felt before. I think I was so worried about it just changing my personality and making me into someone that I wasn't at all. Like um, that all of a sudden I would, I don't know, um, I'd kind of like be like, I don't know, what's your face in the sound of music? where you're just singing all the time and life, life um, <laughs> Julie Andrews. Yes, that's it. Um, life is just happy and just, yeah, you're walking through like a field of flowers, just singing. Um, but actually medication just made me feel more me. Like it, it removed that tar so I could actually work on the issues that I needed to work on. Like it enabled me to wake up in the mornings and fall asleep at night so that I could just face another day. And it didn't, it didn't solve all the issues I had. Like, it's not like I woke up one morning and felt like, wow, everything is miraculous and everything is solved. But it made room so that I could work on things. Oh, precious sleep. If, sleep you, ever wonder, if you ever wonder if sleep is important, ask a new parent. Yeah. You oh. can ask me. I'm somewhat of a new parent. <laughs> and uh, I can tell you it's very important. Totally relate to you, parents. So you're, um, the Bible well. says the Lord gives to his beloved sleep. So Yeah. <laughs> so um, how long were you on, on these medications? I was on medication for five years. Um, and I felt like it just, um, after the five years, um, with the structures that I had in place, um, just actually really talked to my doctor and really didn't need it anymore. And I wouldn't recommend this for everyone. And it's definitely something that you need to go through with your primary care physician. Um, but for myself, um, I think it just... The five years helped me put really good structures in place to become healthy, not only mentally, but physically um, and spiritually as well. And so after those five years, I weaned off the medication slowly. Also, that's a thing. Like some people just quit cold turkey, but um, just doing things the right way with yeah. like smart doctors, I think is... And during this yeah. time, did you continue to pursue any sort of counseling? Um, did you do yeah. like the Christian versus non-Christian thing? Like, where did you land on that? During yeah, I mean, time? I want to be careful to say like that. I, it's really easy to go to the opposite end of the spectrum and say, wow, Christians are all dumb. I should go just get help from like a really non-Christian. Really easy to swing that, that <laughs> you know direction. What I mean? like, um, so I was at this time, like I also saw a Christian counselor um, pretty regularly. Um, 
even now I actually, I'm very pro counseling. I think like if you don't even, if you look at your life and you're like, I don't have any issues. I don't suffer from any mental health things. Go see a counselor anyways, because it's good. You probably need it more than that's crazy. Like <laughs> we're all yeah. kind of crazy inside. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's so good. Don and I have built my wife. So I'll start that again. My wife and I have just said like once a month, we're going to have someone who is professional at asking good questions and guiding us to like build into our lives. So be that a, a counselor, be that a doctor or a trusted friend or a pastor, like we are intentionally going to like have someone building into us and asking us tough questions because like left on your own devices, <laughs> you'll just stay the same. Yeah. No, and I think the Bible is really clear. We are all messed up. Yeah. yeah. Like there is no one out there who is not messed up. And um, some of us deal with mental health issues more at the forefront of our lives, but I think counseling is just good either way. So yes, um, during the five years I went uh, for counseling and um, eventually spaced that out a bit more as um, as I needed. And now it's just kind of a, on an as needed basis. Um, but yeah, um, counseling even till now. And this is, I don't know, this is like since 2007, it's like a decade, more than a decade later. Yeah. Still doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, there was a point in my life where I realized that, like, I really need a counselor. And I don't even think I, like, oh, I'm not aware of any ways in which I struggle in particular um, with mental health. But, you know, during my yearly watching of Lord of the Rings, I'm just seeing these little hobbits make their way through Middle Earth. And they have a Gandalf there to give them wisdom and wise counsel. And I'm like, man, who doesn't need a Gandalf in their life? And they're like, people paid to be, to be Gandalf for you. I want a Gandalf. I want a counselor, man. I have to go find I've never one. seen Lord of the Rings. So. Oh, Lydia. I know. I know this about you, you do and it grieves me. You know what? I'm at a point where I'm I'm okay with you having Thank not you. seen it. Like it's 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 an obstacle for me to to say that, but I'm there, and like it's okay for people to not have seen it. Okay, I'm there too, Pat. Yeah. But I, it's like I've experienced this wonderful thing, and I want to share it with you. You know what? And that I is like counseling. Yeah. I have experienced this wonderful thing, and I would like to share it with all of you. Well, and I'm before you went off on your Gandalf thing. I was gonna say <laughs> that I am amazed at uh, the power of a good question. Mm -hmm. So, like I, the the counselor I see, I'll name drop Sharon. She's amazing. Uh, she has the ability to just listen to all of my ramblings, and then she just asks one question that drops it in there. That like illuminates the path and helps me to see things so clearly you know who she sounds like Gandalf. yeah mm. <laughs> amazing <laughs> i'm nodding there, my head like i understand yeah it, it's everyone can hear you nodding your head probably yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes gandalf is awesome just that's all you have to know <laughs> but yeah and and the same way like my experience with medication i'm so i'm not a painter or designer like you so my uh my picture was more like there was like a static on the TV mm. and like it was covering the image that you're trying to watch and medication just kind of like turned down the static and allowed me to see what I was supposed to be seeing or hear what I was supposed to be hearing. I just feel like static is kind of like a like an old school term. I feel like nowadays you're like you're talking low buffer like it's really pixelated yeah sure like unclear but i'm just like know? static is even potentially before my time I but <laughs> but like i have that image yeah. in my head of just like there's noise 
there's just so much noise blocking out what I'm trying to see and or what I'm trying to hear and medication just kind of turned the volume down so that I could like oh and I've discovered I have emotions yeah <laughs> I, I can feel things I I'm, I'm not just like angry or not angry that those were the two emotions I had for a while and uh, now I've got at least five <laughs> <laughs> you're like that inside out inside out movie yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's all anger oh. That movie. Sadness is my BFF, man. Oh, I. It's like joy. Get rem- out of here. I remember <laughs> watching that movie with my kids in the theater, and I was weeping at one part when uh, Bing Bong oh, sacrifices yes. himself. Oh, <laughs> Bing Bong! Yeah, You're like, and, it's and, Jesus. <laughs> and my kids just like look over at me, and we're just like shaking their head. <laughs> like, you'll understand <laughs> Bing Bong one day, children. <laughs> he gave himself up for you. <laughs> it just like it gets me every time. Profound movie. In yeah, see, ways. medication has not like diminished my love for sadness and my hatred for joy. Like, she just needs to get out of here. She's so annoying. Like, anyways, um, but it's like a ca- crappy car that goes through the car wash. Like, the crappy car is still there, but it removes all like the mud so that you can actually drive. Like, you can actually go somewhere. Wow, Lydia is like a master of analogy. Master mm-hmm. metaphor. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know that. Yeah. The one thing I would love to talk to you about is like your church community. Mm-hmm. Like, what part did your church community play at this part of your life or during this season of your life? Um, so maybe we'll talk about the helpful parts first and then maybe we'll get into some not helpful parts too. Maybe there weren't any. Yeah, um, church community. Uh, oh man, church was great. Um, Christians, I don't know, just people around me loved me so much. Um, they would bring me small gifts. Like, they would bring me bubble tea and write a note on that bubble tea just to cheer me cheer me up. Or they would ask me if they wanted, like, me to walk or if they wanted me to have someone to walk with to go to get groceries. Um, and so there was, like, a lot of, I think, the most helpful aspect of it was that they were actually community, that they were actually loving, that they cared. Um, and I think back then it wasn't, Mental health wasn't something that we talked about as much. I don't know. I feel like I'm aging myself. This is only like a decade ago, but it's okay. it was talked just, about static, so you're... yeah, it's true. It was before kind of like the rise of the huge rise of social media. So there right. weren't things like Bell Let's Talk, and so I think a lot of people just didn't know how to help. But in ways that they did, they were so helpful. Just making me meals and um, never giving up on inviting me out and always saying, "Hey, do you want to hang out?" Even though I would most likely say. No, they never stopped asking. And so I think that was just really helpful. Um, you kind of see, it sounds cliche, but you kind of see the love of Christ when people are actually pursuing you intentionally. Um, so that was something that was just really great. Yeah, I. it's funny that it's like even surprising that uh, Christian community would act that way. Because I mean, in my experience, it would also be like pretty similar by like my friends and, you know, like my small group or whatever would would do a very similar thing i think um but there is this like like overarching narrative that christians like don't talk about mental health i don't know maybe there isn't maybe we just made it up but i do like so uh on our blog on our website um there was an article written about like i wish christians talked more about mental health and it got insane traffic uh just relative to our other stuff in the states it trended everyone commented yes agree totally sure I'm interested in, like, to see why, like, why the perception is there, if that matches reality. Well, even as we were planning for the show, 
uh, and we talked to people and said, what are the topics that we have to discuss? Yeah, it was top five, like every time. Uh, almost everyone said, you know, mental health. Would I guess like, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it is interesting because like maybe we're just in a really lucky like environment uh, and we have a lot of like good experiences, but um, yeah, maybe we could talk about like even in this experience where you were surrounded by a lot of great um, Christian friends and maybe coworkers who, who did do the right thing. What were, what were some hard things about being in that Christian community? Um, I mean, sometimes it's like the elephant in the room, right? Everyone knows that it's there and they, it's not like they didn't love me. They did because they, they showed me through like sacrificial acts that they did, but it was something that it was like, Oh, well, we don't really talk about this. And I mean, you, you do have some random people who are like, have you prayed? Like, yeah. right. So there are the people that are just like, you're like, yeah, like, Oh, that's all I do at nighttime when I can't sleep. Like, um, yeah. So I think it's kind of like an elephant in the room that, at least in my experience, like people just did everything that they could to help me without actually talking. Were there like particularly it? unhelpful things that people did? Like anything that just grated on you during those times that you're just like, man, what are you doing? Um, well, definitely the people who were like, pray it away, like name it and claim it. Yeah. Like, okay, um, tried that, been there, done that. Um, that was probably, like, my biggest pet peeve. What about people, uh, like, being overly happy around you to try and, like, compensate, <laughs> have it rub off on you or something? You know what? I think maybe it's just my personality, but I kind of attract other depressed people. <laughs> so I feel like most of my friends aren't, like, usually unnaturally happy. Just pity um, Maybe sometimes. I don't know. Um and maybe that's just like a, a God thing that he allowed me to go through this so I could journey with other people as well. But there are the people who really, you can tell that they're trying to steer at the conversation away so that it doesn't become awkward. It's not like they're unnaturally happy or, um, but you can tell that they're like, oh, this is an awkward thing. Or you can kind of sometimes tell when someone is like, oh, I think, like, I think Lydia needs help, but I don't want to say it and I don't know. So maybe I'll just hint towards it. Like, oh, you know, one time I saw a good counselor, like... She was so helpful. And in your mind, you're like, you're telling me this because you want me to see a counselor, but you don't know that I'm already seeing one. Like Two. <laughs> like I'm seeing a million. Um, so I think, like, yeah, like just when people try to avoid it or um, go- when people gospelize you and they're like, oh, like, just Jesus is so good, right? Like, if you believe in Jesus enough, um, he will help you through this. And it's like, yes, well, maybe he will. Maybe he won't. Um, yeah, so things like that, like just being gospelized by friends constantly is kind of annoying too. Sometimes I don't know. There's, it's a fine line because I think there's people who do it really well, right? And there's people who come alongside you and point truth to you. And I think truth always sets us free. Like having a label for depression, yeah. it sets you free. But This is just a curiosity question. We probably need to come along here. Um, was there like friends that was like, okay, enough already. So not the elephant in the room, but the opposite. Like, I'm tired of your elephant. Like, yeah. can you, so. Yeah. Like, kind of, yeah. Like, friends like, who are like, oh, this this aunt has stayed a long time. You just need to kick her out. Like, or, um, I'm tired of you talking about this. Like, Well, it's like, yeah, I brought you a meal. I helped you. But, like, it's it's getting on in the year. Let's, uh, there are other people in the world that need help. Or, yeah. And, I mean, it's hard because when you're depressed, sometimes everything is so distorted yeah. that like I became really paranoid of people. And now that I'm kind of out of that fog, I look back and I think, 
well, maybe I didn't need to be as paranoid of people as I was. So it's hard to tell, right? Like, I think sometimes I definitely found that people were impatient with me. But looking back, it's hard It's hard to know, were they actually impatient with me? Or was I, like, impatient with myself and kind of projecting it on them? Um, and I don't think I ever had anyone who approached me and said, hey, snap out of it. Um, there were definitely people who, over time, just left. Um, they didn't stick around. Um, you know, they asked, like, one or two times, do you want to hang out? And then after you say no those two times, they kind of phase themselves out. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's sometimes I think I need to give more grace to the people who were in my life at that point because I think they did what they could and um, everything was so distorted anyways that, I don't know, you could have been the nicest person to me and I could have been like, wow, that person is like totally... Clueless or totally a jerk. Yeah. I know I'm probably an offender to like many depressed people. I feel like when when someone's sad, I think my natural tendency is to like distract them from the thing. <laughs> so so I don't like whatever that is. Like oh let's go see a movie or like uh, have a conversation that tries to get you like you know, talking about something else. I have no idea if that's the right thing, but I think that's just my like my natural tendency, and I think that probably bugs <laughs> some people. So, maybe it's helpful maybe. to some. But I mean sometimes it's helpful, yeah, right? Yeah. Like sometimes you just need that like distraction where you're like I don't want to feel sad. I just yeah. need to you know, but. Yeah. Um, it really depends on the person, I think. Yeah, I remember my best friend now uh, coming up to me and he's like, oh, I'm so glad that you're feeling better or whatever. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he's like, well, for a year or so, I was kind of morose. And I was like, what on earth does that word like, mean? Like, wow, pulling up a dictionary, <laughs> dictionary word for you, morose. And uh, he's like, well, your spirit animal is Eeyore. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that hurts. And yeah, see, but I had friends like that too. And I was know? like, why didn't you say anything? Yeah. Like after the, the same year, time, like, well, like, like claiming Eeyore before. And yeah, like, I don't know. Maybe I didn't make room for that yeah. either. So yeah. there's so I much. I don't in think there. I would have listened to him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Necessarily. But it's complicated, right? People try the best they can. Can you move us to um, how can we be better in Final Thoughts? Yes, yes, we can. We'll edit that out probably, I guess. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> it was silent. I figured I could just ask. Yeah, yeah. We all know each other. Um, uh, so, yeah, so, yeah, maybe, maybe we could talk, talk a bit, a little bit about... Um, I'm going to start that again. Because I got really distracted and this mic apparently is horrible. It is. You're going to be right in front um, so as I so think I about think ways about that, that, that I've probably failed, failed or, you know, or done, um, maybe done well, I unconsciously with my friends who have been struggling with depression or mental health issues, how do you think um, we, maybe as a, as a Christian body of believers, we as a society could do better in, um, in walking with our friends who struggle with mental health and depression? Mm-hmm. I think there's a few things. Um, one thing kind of along the lines that we were already talking about is just to keep on pursuing I think sometimes we give up really easily, you know, one or two times, like we'll ask our friends to hang out and then they say no. And then we're like, well, this friend just doesn't want to hang out with me. So I'm going to stop asking. Um, But I think sometimes you kind of need to be that annoying friend who is like, I'm just going to keep asking you. Like every Friday, I'm going to ask you if you want to hang out. Every Tuesday, I'm going to ask if you want to come over for dinner. And you might say no, um, but I'm going to ask anyways. And so that intentional pursuit. I think is really, I mean, it's really what Christ models to us every day. Like most days I'm like, Jesus, I don't want to spend time with you. I don't want to have lunch with you. 
And he's still like, no, I'm just going to like chill here until you say yes. Um, and so I think that we need to be like that with our friends as well. Um, because inevitably all of us will go through a hard time. And I think most people just give up during those hard times. And so it's actually saying, you know, it's not, it's not a personal thing. If someone rejects my request to hang out or to have dinner together. Um, and I'm, so I'm just going to keep on asking because I love this person. Um, and yeah, I'm having an impact whether I know it or not. So I think that's one thing. Um, I think another thing is I wish the church prioritized physical health more. Um, do you notice that things like gluttony or um, things like indulgence are like widely accepted? Encouraged Um, sometimes. We do like YouTube things that are like, oh, you know, eat as much as you can fast or whatever. Yeah. Um, And I don't know. But don't you dare smoke. Yeah. 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 (laughs) There's like a really weird line because it's like, oh, you can go to like theology on tap. Yeah. um, Every night. Don't drink by yourself. Do you, I don't know. Anyways, yeah, yeah. there's like indulgence and like gluttony is this thing. Pollute and your body with every horrible food imaginable, but don't don't have a cigarette. Yeah, or like fill your body with all this like crap, but then like you shouldn't feel bad. Like your body shouldn't feel bad. Like you shouldn't have any mental health issues after like yeah, not taking care of yourself for like. Anyways, um, and so I think I wish that the church prioritized physical health more. Is that because um, because depression is very physical? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we we often will address nowadays, especially we'll address the kind of the cerebral aspect. Like, are you seeing a psychiatrist? Are you seeing a Christian counselor? Um, we address like the spiritual aspect um, by saying like, hey, have you worked through these gospel um, issues in your life? Have you like derooted idols in your life? But then we don't talk about the physical physical aspect at all. Like, hey, are you? being obedient to God by, you know, going to the gym and being healthy and eating right and taking care of your body because you know that if you take care of your body, like your mind is part of your your body. Like your brain is actually like, it's a physical thing. It's not just like this random. Love the Lord your God with all your strength. Yeah. And your mind. Like Paul says he beats his body like into submission. And so I think that there's an aspect where the church needs to. Start beating people? (laughs) Yes, flogging them. (laughs) Just, yeah, like I think prioritizing that aspect of health. Um, I think it would go a long way um, in helping our mental health as well. Um, And then I think the last thing that I think the church could do better is emphasizing that what all of us feel, whether we we struggle with mental health or not, um, is that what we see isn't actually reality. And so I think someone who's depressed kind of knows, you kind of know that intuitively, right? You know that what you feeling when you're really down and everything's just like molasses you know intuitively like this can't be reality for for everyone that was me right like i was like oh this doesn't feel right um but i wish that the church emphasized more that all of us we are all broken and so we don't see reality like it is um are you saying that like my perception of your intentions or my perception of like people's motivations or things like that are probably skewed or like the lenses through which I view the world have a tint to them. Yeah. Um, and some maybe have like a greater tint, but all of us have like this tint. I think the um, story of, I think of in, um, in the Bible that most closely relates to this is in Second Kings chapter 6. And um, the king of Syria is warring against Israel. And um, Elisha keeps actually warning the king of Israel. And so they keep evading 
um, the Syrian plans. And the Syrian king is like, what the heck? Like, like how are you always evading me? Um, and it comes back to him that Elisha is the one that is, um, um, he's warning the king of Israel. And so the Syrian king sends out his army to seize Elisha. And the servant, Elisha's servant wakes up one morning and sees the Syrian army in the distance. And they're all around. They're surrounding them. And the servant is terrified. Like, he's like, oh my gosh, I don't know what we're going to do. And um, Elisha replies that there are more with the two of them than the Syrian army. And I'm pretty sure the servant is like, what? You are crazy. Um, but Elisha actually prays that the servant's eyes would be opened. And then the servant's eyes are opened. And he sees um, that the mountain is full of horses and chariots of fire. Um, all of that they're surrounding, they're surrounding them. And they're so much greater than the Syrian army. And I think that's true in our own lives as well. Like there are things that we don't see um, and that we can't perceive um, that God is doing. Um, and sometimes we won't even know, like maybe he won't open our eyes until the very, until the very end. Um, I mean, I think I'm so grateful to be out of that like fog of depression. I don't know. Maybe she'll come back and visit sometime. Um, but I, I know that there's other people who will, who will struggle with this for their lifetime um, and who will say, I can't see what reality actually is. And I think the church needs to say, hey, none of us see what reality is. We cling to something that is to someone who is invisible, um, trusting that he is actually good um, and that even when we can't feel him, even when we can't see him, we know that we aren't defeated. Um, and I think that's a big thing for the church to emphasize, like whether we struggle with mental health or not, like all of us like don't actually see reality as what it is. I think that's a, a prayer that I'm going to start praying myself that, that the eyes of the people that I'm, you know, trying to minister to or love will be open to see, mm -hmm. you know, what God is doing in their life more. Uh, I, I got chills as you were t relaying the story of Elisha and, and the army because like I wish I could be there to, to see that and uh, lo and behold I probably can in this <laughs> in my life and in the reality right now yeah it's, it, that's a great uh, analogy I think and it's really humbling too it's like really democratizing it's like oh it's not just people who struggle with like mental health um, that like have a, have a fog that uh, obscures their their view of your reality there's actually a much a much greater, more beautiful picture that God is painting that we're all uh, blind to, because we're all broken, and uh, we all need to we all need to um, to rely on the grace of God to to be able to see that that beautiful painting. So, mm -hmm. like, it's not just like the depressed person who really needs Christ. Exactly. Like, oh, you really need Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, we all we all do. We all really need Jesus to see reality. Well, and we're all so broken. Mm -hmm. um, it is our common practice to give our guest the final word. Uh, and so I wonder if there's uh, a final thought that you have on the topic of mental health and, and Christians. Um, I think that you aren't alone. Like even the God of this universe, um, he was so depressed that he sweat blood. Like, I don't, that's like, I don't know. Like, isn't that just, sorry, I'm going to cry. <laughs> isn't that such a beautiful picture that you were not alone? Even if no one understands what you're going through, even if you don't understand what you're going through, even if you don't want to wake up in the morning, there's someone who's curled up beside you in bed 
who says, I love you and I know what you're going through because I I too went through it. And I think that's a that's a really beautiful picture um, of the gospel. Like he doesn't make everything okay right now, but there will be a day when he makes everything perfect. Um and I think that gives us so much hope to wait um to be healed. Um yeah, I have I have a friend who is visually impaired and he once told me he's been visually impaired since he was a child and he said the first person that he ever sees clearly will be Christ. Um and I love that picture because in the fog of depression um the first person that I'll, I'll ever see see clearly, the first person I'll ever feel fully is Jesus. And so yeah, I think that's really encouraging for us. Wow, that's a beautiful picture of hope. I don't want to say any more words to dilute that because that was absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for, for opening up and for sharing all of that. I think it's going to be an amazing uh, thing for people to, to experience the, the fact that they're not alone um, and to have that beautiful message of hope as well. We'll be with all of our listeners next time on our next episode of Undiscussed. This episode of Undiscussed was produced by Patrick Erskine and Eric Humphrey. Editing done by Ben Skinner and the music was produced by Ian Post. Go to p2c.sh slash undiscussed to find more episodes, show notes, and information about our podcast. That's p2c.sh slash undiscussed. Also, remember to subscribe if you like what you hear, and you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at undiscussedpod, all one word. If you've got feedback for us, don't leave it undiscussed. Next time on Undiscussed, we talk addiction. A lot of times alcoholism is described as an allergy of the body and obsession of the mind. So you're the, the more you drink, the thirstier you get. So, you know, one, two drinks in, like, I need more, I need more. Um, which, like, in contrast, like, when I'm having any other drink, like, I'll have two cups and be like, okay, like, I'm full, like, I've had enough. But alcohol, like, there's never an amount that it's like, okay, that's enough.